Our scripture this morning comes from Romans chapter 11, verses 1 through 8, 11 through 14, 17 through 20, and then 25 through 36. I ask then, has God rejected his people? By no means, for I myself am an Israelite, a descendant of Abraham, a member of the tribe of Benjamin. God has not rejected his people whom he foreknew. Do you not know what the scripture says of Elijah, how he appeals to God against Israel? Lord, they've killed your prophets, they've demolished your altars, and I alone am left, and they seek my life. But what is God's reply to him? I have kept for myself 7,000 men who have not bowed the knee to Baal. So too, at the present time, there is a remnant chosen by grace, But if it is by grace, it is no longer on the basis of works. Otherwise, grace would no longer be grace. What then? Israel failed to obtain what it was seeking. The elect obtained it, but the rest were hardened. As it is written, God gave them a spirit of stupor, eyes that would not see and ears that would not hear, down to this very day. So I ask, Did they stumble in order that they might fall? By no means. Rather, through their trespass, salvation has come to the Gentiles, so as to make Israel jealous. Now, if their trespass means riches for the world, and if their failure means riches for the Gentiles, how much more will their full inclusion mean? Now, I'm speaking to you Gentiles. Inasmuch then as I am an apostle to the Gentiles, I magnify my ministry in order somehow to make my fellow Jews jealous and thus save some of them. But if the branches were broken off and you, although a wild olive shoot, were grafted in among the others and now share in the nourishing root of the olive tree, do not be arrogant toward the branches. If you remember, it is not you who support the root, but the root that supports you. Then you will say, branches were broken off so that I might be grafted in. That is true. They were broken off because of their unbelief, but you stand fast through faith, so do not become proud, but fear. Lest you be wise in your own sight, I do not want you to be unaware of this mystery, brothers. A partial hardening has come upon Israel until the fullness of the Gentiles has come in. And in this way, all Israel will be saved, as it is written. The deliverer will come from Zion. He will banish ungodliness from Jacob. And this will be my covenant with them when I take away their sins. As regards the gospel, they are enemies for your sake. But as regards election... They are beloved for the sake of their forefathers. For the gifts and the calling of God are irrevocable. For just as you were at one time disobedient to God, but now have received mercy because of their disobedience, so they too have now become, have, <clears throat> so they too have now been disobedient in order that by the mercy shown to you, they may also now receive mercy. For God has consigned all to disobedience, that he may have mercy on all. 
Oh, the depth of the riches and wisdom and knowledge of God. How unsearchable are his judgments. How unscrutable his ways. For who has known the mind of the Lord? Or who has been his counselor? Or who has given a gift to him that he might be repaid? For from him and through him and to him are all things. To him be glory forever. And all the people said, Amen. That was a long one, wasn't it? Uh, so just to uh, clarify here, you're looking at the insert, you're thinking, Susan just read a lot of the Bible, and on the back, there's four points. We're going to be here forever. Um, hopefully not. Uh, but in all seriousness, uh, it was hard to cut uh, any of Romans 11, and, and we cut a lot of it. Uh, but basically what I'm going to do is try to walk through what she did read. And uh, I promise that the length of the sermon is not commensurate with or comparable to the length of the scripture passage. Uh, my name is Jonathan, uh, one of the ministers here at uh, Redeemer City. Uh, it's good to see you. Uh, as Joe already said, happy Father's Day. Aren't we blessed to have a father in heaven? Uh, and as you read the scriptures, you learn uh, he's very, very different uh, from even those of us who would consider ourselves with the best or having had the best of dads in this life, uh, he's better than all of them. Uh, and that gives us great comfort and, and hope. Uh, I do want to report in, we just had the General Assembly of the Presbyterian Church of America uh, in Atlanta this past week. Uh, and you can read about that uh, on the interweb uh, although I would be, uh, I would caution you as to uh, what you read and where you read. So if you just go to the PCA's website, there will be a report uh, from a guy named Roy Taylor, who's the stated clerk, and it's basically a uh, just a straight report of the kinds of things that went on there. But the neatest thing we did uh, was, for the first time in the history of the denomination, we had an African American moderator that we elected. Uh, his name is Erwin Ince. Uh, just a stunning human being, and he did a great job. And for those of you that are wondering, what is the moderator? What's the person who stands up in the front and basically governs the meeting uh, and um, has to throw in some occasional humor because it's a, it's a, it's a room full of 1,500 Presbyterians. <laughs> so as you can imagine, they all take themselves way too seriously, and so he's got to throw in some humor occasionally, and he did that. He just did an amazing job. But it's a real, it's a mark of grace and a mark of the move of God's Spirit among us that uh, we've gone from uh, where we were to where we are now, uh, and we continue to move forward. So that, that was really, really neat. I wanted to share that with you. Uh, we're at the end of uh, Romans uh, 11 here, or Romans 9 to 11, uh, and we're going to take a break for the summer uh, and have a summer series and then jump back into uh, the rest of Romans that will take us to the end of the year. Uh, but I want to just review for a minute as we come to a chapter that, again, a lot of debate, a lot of uh, ink has been spilt over the years on. Uh, the question is, in light of chapters 9 and 10, has God rejected his people? Well, in chapter 9, as we learned a couple weeks ago, God, God's word hasn't failed he is committed to carrying it out. His purposes of election uh, will stand. Uh, 
He will have mercy on whom he will have mercy. He will have compassion on whom he will have compassion, and so forth. And then in chapter 10, uh, God's word and message continue to go forth into all the world, to the Jew first and also to the Gentile. Paul is consistent in that. Uh, And I think Drew mentioned this a couple of weeks ago. This is similar in regards to, there's a lot of teaching here, and I apologize for that. It's going to end up feeling more like a teaching sermon. Um, It's not the norm around here for sure, but I think there's some things that are worth walking through and reflecting on uh, throughout this chapter, and so that's going to be where we go. I I mentioned there's some hotly debated parts of this chapter, hotly debated. I mean, among Christians, the rest of the world doesn't care, right? Let's be honest. But amongst Christians, it's a big, big deal, right? And so I'm probably going to bring, let me just go ahead and tell you, great dissatisfaction to you who are looking for answers from me uh, in these. You can, if you're unsatisfied with mine, uh, try Drew. Um, He's usually much better about satisfying those kinds of things uh, than I am, Uh, and he knows more than me anyway. But my goal for us this morning truly is, despite all the confusing bits and wondering about the details of what this section covers is that we would be led this morning to the last point in the sermon outline there in the insert. Worship and wonder. That's it. Uh, To be quite honest, uh, I appreciated the direction that we're going uh, song-wise in terms of reflecting on the holiness of God, the, the, the greatness of God, the amazingness of God, and then him coming to us in sending a redeemer uh, and displaying his grace, ultimately, that's greater than all of our sin. And so uh, there's a lot here, uh, but I do want to uh, end with worship and wonder. So let's walk through it there. You'll see four points uh, in your outline or on your uh, worship folder insert there. The first is there's a remnant chosen by grace. There's good news as Paul is anticipating his readers uh, reflecting on what he said in chapters 9 and 10. Secondly, though, there's a warning here because stumbling Israel led to a salvation for or to the Gentiles. And yet there's a warning attached. Thirdly, there's a great mystery. And the mystery really does point us to God's mercy. And then lastly, some of the most famous words uh, in all the Bible uh, and uh, where Paul ends I would actually argue the, where he ends having reflected back over chapters 1 all the way to 11, he doesn't end chapter 11 just uh, randomly. I mean, he, he's very much thinking about all that's happened up to that point, uh, and that's where we're going to end to. So first, he begins the chapter, uh, and you can look there. Either you have a Bible open. Uh, or flip back and forth. Uh, again, I apologize for the, the, the length there, but hopefully we're going to cover a good bit of this. He asks a question. Has God rejected his people Israel? What brings about him asking that question? Well, he, he talks about the, the message going forth and faith come, coming by hearing and hearing by the word of God. And he says, but I ask, have they not heard? This is back in chapter 10. Uh, yes, of course they've heard. Did they not understand Well, yeah, they understood, but they didn't follow through. Something happened. They just didn't get it. 
of Israel, he says, this is the end of chapter 10, all day long I've held out my hands to a disobedient and contrary people. It doesn't look real good for Israel. And so he says, has God rejected his people? Well, of course not, is his answer. Look at him, Paul, an Israelite, Jewish by descent of the tribe of Benjamin. If he took one of those 23andMe tests, there would be no question. There would be no mix. It would be 100% Jewish. And he says, and yet I'm living proof that God's grace is at work. I'm a trophy of his grace. God is currently working. Lest the Roman Christians reading this be wondering themselves, has God stopped? Has he given up? Paul says, of course not. I'm saved. As, as he said in chapter 1, the gospel is the power of God for salvation for the Jew first and also the Gentile. He says there's always been a remnant. God has always been faithful to keep his word and his promises. If you go back to the Old Testament, there's a story uh, in it. And the one he refers to, for those of you who might be new or unfamiliar to the Bible and the story he's talking about, there was this prophet named Elijah. And he's on the run from two of the most wicked human beings that have ever lived, Ahab and Jezebel. And he, he gets to the place where he thinks, I'm it. The nation is sunk. No one else is around, and yet God has to remind him what? No, I've got 7,000 people, prophets, a remnant, saved, off to the side, underground. You can't see them, but I promise you they're there. And it's why Paul has to say in Romans 9, verse 6, not all who are descended from Israel belong to Israel because Elijah's looking around at Israel, and he sees unfaithfulness. He sees unbelief. And so he's led to think, I'm it. God says, no, there's a remnant. I'm still at work. See, we can rest assured that God hasn't forgotten or rejected his people whom he foreknew. Paul says that uh, there in verse uh, five, excuse me, uh, six. Uh, Well, somewhere in there. I'm losing my place here. Oh, I apologize. That's in verse 2. I knew it was in there. He says, God hasn't rejected his people. The people he set his affection on, the people he pursued with his stubborn love, as we learned a few weeks ago, before the foundation of the world, he loved them. Right? And if that's true, no one can boast that it's because of something in them that God set that affection on them. It happened before they were born. Right? Again, like Chapter 9, verse 32, Paul is quick to tell us God's grace is the basis for salvation. His grace is the basis for his preserving his people. So right at the start, let me say, especially to the non-Christians in the room or those who are struggling with Christianity, not sure whether you are or aren't, there are only two ways you can get to God. Through works, through perfection, or through grace. And if you're relying on your works, well, then you had better be perfect. God demands nothing less in order to approach him and to be in his presence. But the Bible says, in fact, Romans says, no one is righteous or perfect. We're all sinners. And without the shedding of blood, there's no forgiveness. So someone's blood needs to be shed in order for you and I to gain the access into the presence of God that we need and so long for. It's what we were made for, right? If you look back in your worship folder at the assurance of pardon from 1 Peter, 
Peter is writing to, and I, you can't print this, but if you go back and look at the beginning of 1 Peter, Peter's writing to Jews. He's writing to Jewish people who've been scattered all over the known world at that time. And he says to them, all the religious ceremonies and observances that you were relying on to make you right with God were worthless. He calls them feudal ways inherited from your forefathers. He says you were rescued from that stuff. That They were worthless. It's an empty way of life. He says only the blood of Jesus, precious and without blemish, can atone for sins. And the blood of Jesus is no respecter of ethnicity. Man, isn't that great? Well, the problem is, historically, maybe we've not thought that that was great. One of the things the PCA had to do a couple of years ago, repent corporately, repent publicly, uh, repent as a body of the sins of racism that, have, um, that we have perpetrated over many, many years and continue to perpetrate. The blood of Jesus, though, is no respecter of those things. Jew or Gentile, only the blood of Jesus can atone. Whether Jew or Gentile, coming to faith only happens through grace. And Paul is saying that what guarantees there will always be a faithful remnant is not that there will always be a set of good, decent, moral, upright people, but that there will always be the amazing grace of God. Uh, If you want to read a great biography, even if you're not a reader, it's probably on Audible or something. Uh, But it's a biography of John Newton written by a guy named Jonathan Aitken. Uh, Just an amazing biography. Side note, take it for what it's worth. What then, Paul says, what then? Why is it that still a majority of Jews don't believe the gospel of grace? That's where he goes in verse 7. They had heard it. They should have understood, given all that the prophets and the rest of the Old Testament said. He says, verse 8, or excuse me, 7, Golly, I'm way off on this today. I apologize. Israel failed to obtain what it was seeking. In the Greek, it says, what they were earnestly, passionately, fiercely seeking. Well, what were they seeking? The same thing we all are seeking. The same thing Paul has been at pains to tell us throughout the entire book of Romans, we're all seeking and we can't get. What's the word? Righteousness. A sense of being right, a sense of being okay, a sense of being good with God and others. They sought to earn theirs. And the result is that the elect obtained it. That's what he says there. That what then? Israel failed to obtain what it was seeking. The elect obtained it. Why? Because they were resting on the grace that had come to them. They were receiving something that they got that came from outside of themselves. Not that they were trying to earn But he says the rest were hardened. And a hard heart refuses to accept the gospel of grace. And to those who refuse it, Paul says, it's a word of judgment, not freedom. Their blessings became stumbling blocks, divine retribution for their rejection. And that's where he goes and takes him to verse 11. And so keep following along with me as we walk through this. He says again... Okay, it's almost as if he anticipates, and as he writes, he says things, and then he anticipates questions that are going to come up, or at least questions in his own mind as he follows the train of thought. So he says, so I ask then again, did they stumble in order that they might fall? And here comes something really amazing, maybe the most amazing thing in the chapter with the exception of the end of it. 
But he says this in verses 11 through 14, and I want you to follow this carefully, okay? So, so, uh, so hang with me. Through the Jews' trespass, he says. Well, what was their trespass? Well, rejecting Messiah and his gospel. He says, through their trespass, salvation has come to the Gentiles. Though many Jews believed in the first century, there was a great hostility to Christianity among the majority of the Jewish population. Hello, Paul himself. Go back to the book of Acts. Do you know who arranged murders and persecutions of the church? This guy writing these verses. Say what? No, no. Promise. It's true. Right? Luke highlights so much of that in the book of Acts. There's so much persecution. There's so much hostility. And yet, Peter was sent to the Jews. There were lots of Jews getting saved in the book of Acts, but the majority of the population was opposed to the gospel. Paul says, had this not happened, the early Jewish Christians might have been tempted to conclude, well, the gospel is only for ethnic Israel. And they would not have had the motivation to go to the uttermost parts of the earth, which, by the way, Jesus tells them to do in chapter 1 of the book of Acts. You're going to be my witnesses here first, but ultimately to the uttermost parts of the earth. And so he put the Gentiles on the heart of Paul, the most Jewish of Jews, who planted churches all over the Roman Empire. Isn't, isn't just his way, I mean, isn't it's just stunning. It's just stunning. And we'll get to, at the end, again, why he ends uh, the way he does. Paul hopes that this work of God among the Gentiles has a specific effect on the Jews. Now look at it there. Again, this is, this is remarkable that he says this. So I want you to, I want you to get this. He says, it, it came to the Gentiles, verse 11, so as to make Israel jealous. What? what? Envy? So I thought envy was a seven deadly sin kind of thing. That's not a good thing, right? But it's remarkable. The Gentiles could only have heard the gospel because the Jews largely rejected it. But now the Jews can only believe because those who accepted Christ were largely Gentiles. You should be scratching your head, and not because it itches, right? I mean, it's just a head scratcher. The Jews will see many Old Testament promises being fulfilled in the Gentiles coming to faith. The Jews that have paid close attention to the Old Testament because the prophets talked about it again and again and again. But the Jews didn't think it was going to happen in the order in which it did. So the Old Testament prophets continually pointed to that in the latter days. But no one, particularly Israel, ethnic Israel, would have thought that it meant on the whole they would reject Messiah. And so the stumbling of Israel would lead to the salvation of the Gentiles, neither, of course, in total, because just as all ethnic Israel didn't reject Jesus as Messiah, so all Gentiles didn't and haven't come to faith. But the human heart is so tempted toward self-righteousness, and Paul, having come out of and still being prone to, I believe, the, 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 uh, the self-righteousness that is just the cancer of our souls. I mean, it just is so easy to crop up, man. You've got to be on your guard all the time. And so he says, um, you guys, watch out. Look at verse uh, 17. 
So just when a Roman Christian's reading along, again, a Gentile, largely Gentile church, this letter's written to, they're reading along, just when they might have been thinking, man, yes, yeah, shame about those Jews. Good thing I'm saved, though. Whew. He gives them a very sober warning. It, it, in the form of Gentile disregard for Jews or disdain for the church's Old Testament heritage. He says, be careful. He says, God's covenant has not so radically changed that we actually begin to think that we Gentiles are God's covenant people. Oh no, right? Paul says, think again, the original roots of the tree are still holy, still preserved. Back to that remnant thing he talks about at the beginning of the chapter. It's just that the wild olive shoots are grafted in, drawing nutrients from the original root. Well, who are the wild olive shoots? You and I. Unless you are Jewish, some of you in this room may be, I don't know uh, all of you, but I venture to guess most of you are Gentiles. And he calls us wild olive shoots. That's not a compliment. He, he's, trying to, he's trying to get the Romans to come down off their high horses a little bit, right? As one of my seminary professors used to say, remember, most of your ancestors were running around half naked, worshiping the sun and the moon when Abraham was offering sacrifices to Yahweh. Don't get a big head. God broke off branches so that we could be grafted in, right? True, Paul says. But keep in mind, unbelief led to that, and unbelief can just as easily lead you to be cut off too. That's the warning. And so look at how verse 20 ends. Do not be proud, but fear. Stand in awe, stand in wonder. Allow yourself to be absolutely blown away by the mystery of God's plan, by the wonder of his grace, by the fact that he was willing to cut off branches and graft in wild olive shoots so that now, as Jesus says in John 15, I'm the vine, you are the branches. Apart from me, you can do nothing, but in me, you bear much fruit. And he had to cut off branches so that you and I, Gentile goyim scum, could come to enjoy the nourishing root. It's a wonder. So, for us, applying this is, is to consider where you might be presumptuous. Patrick alluded to this earlier. I appreciate that. To think that because your parents went to church, because you memorized the catechism, by the way, that, that's an impressive thing. We found a, uh, <laughs> this plaque uh, after Covenant uh, gifted us this facility. Uh, we, we found this plaque, and it had uh, names of, of kids who had recited the entire Westminster Shorter Catechism, and they won an award. Well, as well they should have. It's a big deal. Look it up this afternoon on the internet. It's long. But it doesn't make you worthy. It doesn't get you salvation. To think that because you volunteer in kids' worship, because you attend a Christian school, because you're reformed, whatever assumptions you might make about why you're in, to come to God with presumption, Paul says, is to invite his judgment and so as we read a couple of weeks ago in community Bible reading, at the end of 2 Corinthians, Paul says, examine yourselves to see whether you are in the faith. A few chapters later at the end of Galatians, he says, keep watch on yourself, lest you too 
be tempted. Humble yourselves. And it is as if all that wasn't enough, we're getting there. Third point. He begins, see, this doesn't feel that long, does it? Don't answer that. He, he begins verse 25 by saying this. Lest you be wise in your own sight, I want you to not be unaware of this mystery, brothers and sisters. You get the sense that he's summing up his argument. Now, I just want to say, before I get into any of the rest of this, which isn't going to be that long, uh, if the Apostle Paul called what he's about to say a mystery. Let's just keep it at that. To think that you or I, dodos that we are, are going to somehow make sense of it. Okay? So he says, through the mysterious working of God, a partial hardening has come to Israel so that Gentiles can be grafted in. But notice what he says. Verse 25 until a partial hardening has come upon Israel, until the fullness of the Gentiles has come in. Come in where? Come into what? Israel. Become a part of the covenant community. Well, how does that happen? Well, any person, regardless of ethnicity, has always been able to become a Jew or an Israelite. If you go back into the Old Testament, any foreigner upon undergoing circumcision... That means at any age. Mm-hmm. That's what I said. You can explain that one later to your kids, okay? But any foreigner became a part of the covenant community, and at that point they became a Jew. But the outward sign of circumcision was pointing to something deeper. It was pointing to something that Moses said in Deuteronomy 10. He said, circumcise your hearts. And only one whose heart has been circumcised is truly a member of Israel. It's always been that way. In, in Romans 2, Paul has been laboring to make this point again and again. Romans 2, he says, No one is a Jew who is merely one outwardly, nor is circumcision outward and physical. But a Jew is one inwardly, and circumcision is a matter of the heart. In chapter 4, he says, Is this blessing only for the circumcised or for the uncircumcised? For we say that faith was counted to Abraham as righteousness. Well, how was it counted? Before or after he had been circumcised? It was not after, but before. He received the sign of circumcision as a seal of the righteousness that he had by faith while he was still uncircumcised. The purpose was to make him the father of all who believe without being circumcised so that righteousness would be counted to them as well. And then in chapter 9, but it is not as though the word of God has failed for not all who are descended from Israel belong to Israel. And not all are children of Abraham because they are his offspring. But it's through Isaac. It's through the promise. It's through faith shall your offspring be named. And then lastly, Galatians 6. Neither circumcision counts for anything nor uncircumcision, but a new creation. He says it doesn't matter if you're circumcised. It doesn't matter if you're not circumcised. What matters is a new creation. And what's he say? The only way to get a new creation is to be in who? In Jesus. Faith in Jesus is the only way that you become a part of the Israel of God. Now, the famous verse, verse 26. 
And in this way, all Israel will be saved, as it is written. Lots of debate over the years. Some people think at the end of time, there's going to be this mass conversion of Jewish people. Maybe. That would be cool. That would be amazing. I don't necessarily know if that's what he's talking about. Some people say, well, it's just talking about elect Jews. Some people say every single Jew living at the time. I really don't know. My personal opinion is I think he's referring to not just Jews coming in at the end of time in some sort of mass conversion where they will finally, in some large number, be really, really jealous, as he talks about earlier in the chapter, of the blessings that the Gentiles have been enjoying through faith in Christ and come to faith in Christ. But whatever it means... The bottom line is what he says a few verses later. The heart of God is mercy. The heart of God is mercy. Left to ourselves, we would choose disobedience every time, but God's abundant mercy to all, both Jews and Gentiles, wins the day. Whether Jew or Gentile, no one comes to God except by faith, a faith gifted by the Holy Spirit according to the riches of his grace. Now, Let me finish with the last couple of verses. After reading through and reflecting on Romans 9, 10, and 11, uh, what are we left with? Well, there's a lot of confusing bits in here. There's a lot of statements that are hard to read. They're hard to understand. There's a lot of mystery. But Paul finishes where we should finish. He's moved where we should be moved to worship and wonder. For those of you who have the memory verses or who have been trying to follow along with the memory verses, this is the year of wonder. And this month we're memorizing lamentations, the steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. His mercies never come to an end. They're new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. The Lord is my portion, says my soul. Therefore, I will hope in him. And previous verses we've been reflecting on just the wonder of God. What causes you to wonder? When you consider the ways of God, there's no other response. When you don't understand, when it doesn't make sense, you can always just, uh, I was going to say jump back. You could do that. Uh, fall back and worship. One writer says, Paul gets caught up into infinities and immensities. I don't know what, I don't know what that means. I just thought it was cool, so I wrote it down. The the deep things of God, his riches are deep, his wisdom is deep, his knowledge is deep, it's past our finding out. Martin Lloyd-Jones says, think of it as a sea, and you go in the deep, finding yourself in the deep things of God. And that's what, at the very least, the last three chapters have been, right? The deep things of God. But really, it's the entire book of Romans. And elsewhere, Paul says it's a mystery that's been hidden for the ages and is now revealed in the gospel of Jesus Christ. And he's been laboring to show all the way through the book one thing. This is God's way of making men righteous. And it's faith, faith, faith. Completely independent of man. You can't figure him out. You won't figure him out. Who's known the mind of the Lord? Well, obviously, it's a rhetorical question. No one. So I'm going to end with, I can't drop this mic, but Paul does the best mic drop in the, history of, in the history of the universe. 
This is the best mic drop in the history of the universe. He says, every single thing. So just close your eyes and reflect on this for a minute uh, as we finish. Every single thing in your life, in my life, around you is from him. Everything. Everything is from him. Everything is through him. Everything exists. It, it, it doesn't pass. It doesn't exist independently of him. There's not any random atoms out there. It's all existing through him. And everything, your life, my life, everything that we come in contact with, every person, every instance, every decision, whatever it is, exists as an offering to him. It's offered up to him. It's given to him. To him be glory. Forever and ever and ever and on and on it goes. Amen. It's the best mic drop. Because there is so much mystery here. There's so many things that are confusing. So many things that cause us uh, to wonder. To wonder in confusion. But to wonder ultimately as a sense of wow. So let's pray. Oh God, would you uh, well up in our hearts the same things that you caused to well up in the heart of the apostle, the one who murdered, the one who persecuted you, Jesus, and ultimately became uh, the greatest church planter in the history of the world. Because that's how you do things. Uh, as we were heard earlier, you are the high and holy one who inhabits eternity. We're not even sure what that means. And yet, you're the one who dwells with the contrite and the lowly in spirit. You dwell at the top and you dwell at the bottom. You don't dwell anywhere in between that. And so, as we who because of our own sin, have been on the bottom, need to be raised up. And only one thing can do that. We pray that you would continually stir us and fill us with the wonder of your grace, the wonder of your gospel. And it would change us uh, into uh, true image bearers after the pattern of our Lord Jesus. It's in his name we pray. Amen. So receive this uh, benediction, this good word uh, as you go into whatever it is that he's called you to, whatever it is you're facing, uh, particularly the things uh, where you're struggling, where you don't understand, where you're unsure. Uh, hear these words as you go. He goes with you. Uh, the, uh, one of the preachers at uh, GA at our worship service said, because it's the ironic blessing, it's the blessing Aaron gave, and he said, can you imagine being in the crowd, the pillar of fire, Right behind him is God, and he raises his hands over the people of God and says these words. He says, can you imagine being there that first time? And, and I'm just, i got to use that. So hear these words. Take them in. Hold them tight. May the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. May the Lord turn his face toward you and give you his peace both now and forevermore. Amen. Go in his peace.